With a much less impressive background than you, I'm very, feel very, I feel very background underdressed. I have a dream, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire has more followers and engagement, many times more than the New York Times or CNN. That is a problem for democracy. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast. I'm James Lilich. Rob Long, Peter Robinson are here, and we're all going to talk to Douglas Murray, who's got a great new book, The War on the West. So let's have ourselves a podcast. I can hear you! <laughs> Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, number 597. Wow. wow. When we get to 600... I don't know, something's going to happen between now and then. It's an uncertain world, but probably so. You can make sure that we do, by the way, by going to ricochet.com, joining up and be part of the most stimulating conversations and community on the web where we talk about everything. And as you might well imagine, we're talking about the thing that bedevils the nation the most, according to some, and uh, not according to others. I'm joined by Peter Robinson and Rob Long. Peter in, New- in uh, California, Rob in New York, I presume. I am, in fact, in New York. No oh, good. And Peter, where else would you be but lovely California? Which, unfortunately, is not going to have the governor that we thought, but that's a conversation for a bit later. Obviously, we got to talk about the hearings. It is possible, let me posit this, to be disgusted at absolutely everybody. At Trump for the statements and the actions. <laughs> at the yahoos, the cretins, the Q-addled morons who thought that by walking around stealing a coat rack, they were going to change an election and overthrow a government. And the progressives who winked and waved at an actual bloody, fiery insurrection that gripped the country in 2020 in city after city after city. And now seem to be going their usual route, which is not to ask for jail or punishment, but to just sit and wait until the people responsible for these things end up with what they truly deserve, which is tenure. So that's where we are. A pox on all houses. Or is that just whataboutism and both sidesism and uh, the rest of the things that keep people from taking a stance one way or the other? I don't know. Uh, that strikes me as a very good summary and just about all that the January 6th committee meeting is worth. Just a pox on both their houses. Not a word. We now know that the in the first two years of the Trump administration, the Russian hoax was started by the Hillary Clinton campaign, pursued in manners that in a manner that was at a minimum outrageously improper and unethical by the FBI, but very likely, well, we know we have one FBI agent who has already pled guilty to altering a document. So we have the corruption of our intelligence agencies, or at least one of the intelligence and law enforcement agencies in the FBI. Not a word about that. Not a word about that. I'm not. I'm. I'm with you. I'm not suggesting that January sixth deserves any praise. But we, we. And now we have Chuck Schumer some months ago on the steps of the Supreme Court, calling out Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch by name, and saying, I, "I can't remember the words precisely, but the paraphrase is, you're in trouble now.' You will pay a how, price. You will pay a price. Thank you very much. You will pay a price. And now a heavily armed young man has been arrested outside Justice Gorsuch's house, and he admitted that he was there to take a shot at a Supreme Court justice. Not a word about that. 
Not a word about that last night. It was a mostly peaceful attempt, though, because he didn't mostly actually do Mostly peaceful any, attempt. Right. He didn't do anything. Right. And, and and Peter, if Hillary Clinton had been successful in getting uh, Trump uh, tossed out, not elected because of the Russia thing, then our democracy would not be in peril because of what Trump subsequently did. Don't right. you get it? I mean, right. she was kind of right, right, wasn't she? she I mean, right. I, you know, the means, okay, we can argue about that, but she was trying to save the country from the specter of Trump. Now, nobody's not talking. Russiagate has gone down the memory hole completely. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on this? Um, I can imagine. Well, I'm mindful of the fact that uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you are not a member of Ricochet, we really do need you because we have a gigantic lawsuit to pay off. Um, and, um, uh, my thoughts on Trump, I'm sure, has cost our little company some members. People who love Trump don't like to hear bad things about him. Um, there are only two ways to look at this, right? I mean, because this, it's, it's not urgent, obviously. If it was urgent, it would have happened a year ago or a year and a half right. ago. Right. So it's clearly done for two reasons. One of two, right? History, which, I mean, <laughs> a quaint, you know, quaint idea. The, the actual job of Congress to have a record and historical record. Or, and or politics. So as a, remember, as a matter of history, <clears throat> I'm not sure it's a very good one. I mean, I'm not arguing whether or not, um, I mean, you know, I, none of this was new to me, I guess, That's um, right. even catching it up in the newspaper. Uh, uh, all of it seemed horrible at the time, as you recall, for me, and continues to seem horrible and in many ways um, disqualifying for more than one political figure I can think of, not just Trump, but I believe his coterie of eunuchs in the Senate. Um, I saw a coterie of eunuchs play open for Prince. They were really good, by the way. That's that's, that's back when they sold out, right? Um, But as a matter of politics, it feels to me like, you know, if you're just put your Democratic hat on for a minute, like what, (laughs) what else can you do? Like you, it isn't like you can have a celebration on the White House lawn for the accomplishments of the Biden presidency, or the triumphs of this, you know, benighted Congress. You you have nothing. This is the only error you got, and you got to fire it, and you got to fire it as close to November as you possibly can, and hope that it hits something. And I just don't think it did. So I think it failed as a matter of politics, but I think it also failed as a matter of, a matter of history. I mean, I remember Labor Day, nineteen ninety. Eight, maybe was it when the star report came out remember the star report yes. How old were you? Mm-hmm. three old men are talking about the star report uh, that was the report that um the uh an independent counsel um released uh, uh, investigating the clinton administration, bill clinton especially for improprieties and for pressure and for a lot of other stuff and when that came out it was, it was published in the new york times uh and people Bought the time. I remember I was waiting. I was in line trying to get a ferry somewhere, and I was way, way in the back, and I was going to be there. Everyone was sitting, waiting for the ferry, but they're all on their roof, on their, on leaning against the hood of their car, with the newspaper spread out, drinking a cup of coffee. And it seemed to me like a printed book or a printed something is what you do when you want something to be in history. Uh, Primetime TV specials, what you do when you want <clears throat> something to be politically powerful. But if you're the Democrats in 2022, I just, I feel like they're missing the mark. They should have yeah, printed like, yeah. They should have printed the report. And it's incendiary as you want. You can have all the pictures and all. I mean, the, the transcripts and, the, and, the, and the, the Trump administration figures are what damned the Trump administration last night. You could easily do that in a book. And then if you want to have a primetime special, have one about all of your successes. But if you don't have any, 
you're kind of stuck. So that's you're my. Saying, you're saying this is like summer, the summer replacement variety show that the networks used to do back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. It's like the Hudson, the the January six is like the Hudson Brothers. Or I mean, one of the Watergate hearings. We really didn't know. That's true. I mean, you didn't know how it was going to turn out. You didn't know what happened. You didn't know it was an actual investigation into the hearing. The hearings were an investigation, right? This is like what is a year and a half ago. The we hearings, know. We know. by the way, repeat that. The hearings were an investigation. It's right, not just right. that the staff work was an investigation, and then they trotted it out in front of the senators who asked prepackaged questions. No, no, they really didn't know. What, they really didn't know. Howard Baker asking. Now I can't remember the man's name. What was it? In any event, when the t- it was spilled in open hearing on live television that President Nixon had a taping system. Nobody knew that until Nobody the that, hearing right. itself. Right. So that was like, that was drama. This was really a, a package show. It was pretty good if you're like me and you already agree with it. Um, I don't think it's going to convince anybody. And I think it's only going to remind Americans, and I think it's going to remind American voters, that um, of the two parties, one is living in the past. And you don't want to be living in the past with inflation at 8% and an economy that's sputtering down into recession and um, uh, gas prices at $8 in California, $6 everywhere else. You don't, you don't want that. Yes. That's it's surprising that they, I mean, that they didn't put this on the television screens that you have in gas stations now, but even <laughs> if you did and you taped people to their cars while they were fueling and opened their eyes, like Malcolm McDowell and clockwork orange, people would still, their eyeballs would not be fixated on these, on the hearings. It would be going up to the numbers ticking up and up and up and up as they continue to pump. By the way, I have it. I just opened it right now. The New York times website. This is updated two hours ago. Prices rise rapidly in may live updates. We're now getting live updates on inflation. The inflation rate for the month of May was 8.6%. Right. 8.6%. Highest since 81. The highest well, since 81, exactly. Here's why, here's why this is a diversion. and You're, you're just simply thinking about the wrong things, Peter. A tweet from Matthew Dowd. One party used the fears and frustrations of a group of white working class voters during a time of economic turmoil and high inflation to overthrow a democracy. And too many other voters were more concerned about inflation than the potential loss of the democracy. 1932 Germany. So <laughs> if you're not, if you're waving away January 6th while being by fixated on things like the complete, you know, hollowing out destruction of the American economy and the destruction of our purchasing power and the confiscation of our wages by inflation, you don't have your eye on the ball. You have to keep your eye out for Hitler. Um, and I'm not sure if he means necessarily the Hitler we just had or the Hitler to come. You know that, of course, the, <laughs> yeah. the next guy will be Hitler. Well, the next Hitler is really bad. Next Hitler is really bad. I, th- I think, actually, if, if you did a, a, a search, I may have been the first person to say, in the future, everyone will be Hitler for 15 minutes. But long time ago. <laughs> that could be. But just as well, Trump I mean, was Hitler. I mean, Bush I, was Hitler before, so we're having an right. ever-escalate. I mean, it's gonna ha- they're going to have to say, Hitler factor what? Hitler, Hitler X2, Hitler X3. Give us the actual concentration of Hitlers that but we're going to be having the next I, time. I guess the problem with it is to me is that, um, I mean, at no point, I mean, it isn't like if you storm the Capitol, you get to then make the laws. That's not how it works. It's not capture the flag. It's like you, you don't, if, if, if the mob had been 10 times the size and had they gone in, just assume they went into the Capitol, they killed everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they still wouldn't have gotten 
they still would not have been able no. to subvert and take charge. That's not how America works. It's just too, right. it just isn't, it right. isn't. So all of the high sort of dudgeon and, oh my God, we almost lost our country is really, I mean, they, I think people see through that. Now, I, I'm not, I'm not excusing the day and I'm not excusing the president's behavior, which as you know, I think he's a low life. So I'm not excusing any of that, but uh, as a matter of politics, it's a failure. And as a matter of the historical record, I think it's also a failure because none of it seemed, um, none of it, the, the hearing, the primetime hearings by definition don't seem serious. They seem about publicity and history is serious and politics is publicity. And I think it failed in both cases. Right across from where I am right now are the government buildings that were boarded up and behind a chain fence right, for months, right. months, right? And who exactly were they afraid of? Were they afraid of uh, ultra magas? Uh, maybe some proud boys wanted to do a sprinkling therein, but they were the, the people for yeah. whom that they were afraid would come and burn them. Um, I turned out to be the constituency, actually, for a lot of the politicians. And again, have they reputed any of this? No, because it was righteous. What, what, what happened here, the burning, the looting, the shooting, the rest of it was right. Oh, it got a little out of hand. It got a little zesty. People's high animal spirits. But in its essence, it was it was righteous. And when you look at Portland, which had a government building under siege with firebombs being thrown into it, seemingly on a nightly basis, and the authorities unable or unwilling to do anything about it, images like that sear into people's memories, I think, a lot more than some Yahoo walking out with a coat rack. Right. If you ask Americans mm -hmm. which political statement they found the most dangerous in the past, you know, just the Trump administration, which, which sentence they found the most dangerous? Was it any of the crackpot, insane ramblings of a mentally and emotionally unstable president about how he really won a landslide? Or was it three words? Defund the police. Mm -hmm. if you ask Amer I think if you ask Americans of all stripes, of all races and creeds, um, which words they thought were the most destructive or the most, uh, mo had the most impact, uh, I think they would have to say, I think they would say, I think politically, I think you can make this argument. I mean, if you're Chesa Boudin, you can make the argument. If you're Mayor Eric Adams, you can make the argument that defund the police had more negative impact on American life and culture and society and future and, and Americans way of life and quality of life than the insane ramblings of a mentally and emotionally unstable, unfit president. Three points about Donald Trump. One, he came into office claiming that the crowd for his inauguration was the biggest in history. Anybody with eyes for the drone shots yeah. of the crowds assembled could tell he's just yakking. He's just, his lips are moving. He's not saying anything important. Uh, outrageous, but not, not important. He goes out of office claiming roughly the same thing, same kind of thing. He won a landslide election. Sacred and the third point. And the third point is, he's gone. Now, I know there's some thought about whether he'll run again or not, but right now, he's gone. Against that, we're paying seven bucks a gallon for gas here in Northern California. I know the two of you keep reminding me that I happen to live in the place in America where gas is more expensive than anywhere else. Yeah, you else. pay the California premium. I pay the California premium. Still, gas has doubled since Joe Biden took right. office. And you mentioned Chase Boudin. For listeners who don't follow California politics, Chase Boudin was the progressive, the woke 
district attorney here in San Francisco who announced that for all kinds of what he considered minor infractions, he would not instruct the police to make arrests, and if the police made a mistake of making arrest, he would not have his staff bring charges. He reversed the broken windows policing that had done so much to establish safety in our big cities. In other words, low-level disorder, as he viewed it, was unimportant, with the result that we have feces and needles all over the streets of San Francisco, with the result that corner drugstores can barely stay in business because they're being looted again and again. And I shouldn't say looted, there have been lootings, but shoplifting has become totally routine in San Francisco, and on and on it goes. Right. And what happened last week? Actually, I'm sorry, earlier this very week, on June 7th, we had a primary and this was on the ballot. Chase Boudin was recalled and yanked out of office by the voters of San Francisco. And if you look at a map, this has gone viral at least out here, if you look at a map of San Francisco precinct by precinct by precinct, rich white people voted to retain Chase mm -hmm. Boudin, mm -hmm. but everybody else wanted him out. <laughs> right, right. And Coulter, who is, uh, as you know, is our dear friend, my dear friend, who's going to join us next week, I think, on the podcast or pretty soon. Um, and has a podcast of her own, which we are hoping to uh, put on our network soon. Um, had a very funny joke about Chesa Boudin. <clears throat> she said, um, well, the good news for him is that his life's not going to change because he won't he still won't be prosecuting any crimes, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is exactly true. Um, and I think that I mean, that's why I mean, as a, the, 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 the January 6th, 2021 hearings that I always say 2021 to remind everybody that it was like a year and a half ago, right. um, the, the 2021 hearings um, were, were politically, I think, pol a political mistake, but although maybe just a political necessity for a party that has no other accomplishments. But I think also an historical mistake, because if you really want to, I mean, look, the, 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 the Bill Barr book, Bill Barr was a guest on his podcast. His book says it all. Like, you, you know, all, pretty yes. much all you need to know. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure it accomplished anything it's supposed to accomplish. Uh, and it may have hurt them a little bit by just reminding people that they are continually sifting through the, the clues of yesteryear instead of facing the problems that Americans have right now. Um, Why are there no homeless encampments in front of the U.S. Capitol? There, I mean, there in, Venice, in, in, in Venice Beach, I, I, yeah. I, your old town, Rob, I'm sorry, I follow these accounts that look at what Venice has become. Mm -hmm. And the, the space across from the library was a Centennial yeah. Park or something like that. had been completely taken over. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing they could do about it. Until, I, I guess, there was a fire and there was some hazard and they started cleaning them up. And there was the usual tweet saying that this is absolutely barbaric and the like. But why, why isn't the area around the U.S. Capitol completely, completely covered in, with, with tents? How do they get away with that exactly? Is that a rhetorical question or is it a... Um, yes. Do you no. know the answer? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know the answer. I, I don't know the answer. I imagine that there is some instrument that keeps that from happening. It's oh, a national well, the park. Capital, the Capitol is still, they've still got huge, uh, a huge boundary around the Capitol building itself. Right. Fenced right. off with chain link fence and right. the Capitol police are patrolling. And all of this is to create the impression that the Capitol is still under any, under siege, that the barbarians mm -hmm. could appear over the horizon at any moment. But there are no homeless people. No. There, are, there are very few tourists. You have to stand in long lines to, to anyway.
So what I'm saying, all the consequences of, of progressive leadership in these cities that we have to deal with, which is the feces and needles, which <laughs> sounds like sounds like something out of a lyric of a... Of I a, saw them open for... Uh, a, you know, it's more of a feces and needles and needles. Um, <laughs> all of these consequences... Feces and needles and buttons and bows. There we are. <laughs> There's the title of the podcast. People are the, the people who vote for these things are insulated from actually their manifestations, whereas the people who don't, or at least the people who vote the same way, but have a different way of perhaps you know, defining what is acceptable in the public sphere, vote for them. And then, you know, when in San Francisco do you have a sea change where all of a sudden the people who, who say, okay, I'm going to vote for every single progressive who's on the ballot because there's no other option, but I'm going to draw the line here as if they expect that when they put the same batch of progressives in, they're going to be somehow um, motivated by a different way of looking at the world. Because the progressive view right now is that it is humane to let people expire twitching in the street from drugs mm. right that what is may- that, that is human that is that is freedom and it is wrong to prosecute anybody who walks into a drugstore and just simply puts everything in a bag because he's probably the spiritual inheritor of jean Beljean. and we don't want to have that 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 <laughs> right. you know that 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 uh, you know shoplifting to prison pipeline where these people actually suffer consequences the fact that they've been driven to do this in the first show is is consequence enough but well, at, I mean, some, voters, at some point, but yeah. at some point, you have a critical mass of people who say that our cities are becoming unlivable because we have to step over dead people and and shite in the streets and needles and the rest of it, and we have to ask them to get out a key to unlock the shampoo. Right. That's right. That's right. This can't go on. Well, I, so I see, what? Vo- what party? What politician actually steps up and explains what they're going to do to make this stop? Go on, Rob. I'm just, well, I'm, just, I'm saying, just but, but voters rarely have an opportunity um, to make a surgical, uh, make their, sur- their 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 wishes known in a surgical way. Right? They've had two in California, though. This was one. But, they, that's, but a they, board. that's right. Right. That's but right. they, but they, but occasionally they that do. And seldom, what they really do but, is they put they put a head on a pike, right? Because it's easier for voters to say, especially in a progressive place with all sorts of you know progressive problems, it's easy for them to say, "Not this guy." You know, they didn't choose anybody. He didn't lose an election. He didn't, he would, nobody, they didn't vote in somebody else. They just said, not him. Um, and part of the b- benefit of that is that you can kick the can down the road of what to do. But you now, anybody taking that, sitting behind that desk knows there's a head on the pike in front of the DA's office and it's Chesa Boudin's head. And if you want your head on that pike, do what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. No. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. And that is yeah. kind of in this big, broad way that we vote, you know, which is kind of crazy and a little bit large and massive and imprecise. That's, a pre- that's about as precise a message as you can send. In New York City, about as precise a message you can send is that most people voted for the law, the former cop guy who talked about law and order. Now, how he governs is something different. Who knows? Um but they, they did express a kind of a broad feeling, which is that stick to your knitting, take care of the streets, you know, keep the streets safe and don't spout nonsense. And the people making and the that, schools, I think you can schools, add in. Yeah, the, I can, yeah absolutely. So the people making that argument or making that or, or, or making that protest the most vocal right now are um, ethnic minorities in cities. So in, in New York City, African-American women, basically. Um, they were a huge, huge part of Eric Adams's constituency. 
in and they elected Ron DeSantis and they the elected way. Ron DeSantis right uh, and in San Francisco it was uh, the um, the not the rich enclaves not Noe Valley not Pacific Heights correct um, but the places around there where people really do experience crime if you have a billion dollars you don't experience crime um, but if you don't you do and so that that I feel like is it that True. that instead of I mean it, 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 a, a smart Democrat is looking at that voter map the heat map of the American voter right now and saying uh, we're in trouble and we got to change our, and I think the smart Republicans are doing the same thing. So, uh, but do you think it's possible that what they will do is not actually change their direction and what they do, but simply change their rhetoric. In other words, lie low, don't say the stupid things behave the same way because you're beholden to a part of the party that believes that homelessness, crime, drug abuse, all of these things are useful manifestations of a corrupt system that has to be washed away. And you don't want to irritate those people. I mean, once you start getting, once you start pushing back against all of the systemic systems that the people are talking about and the usual yeah. rhetoric about, you know, then you're in trouble with that base. So I mean, it, here, it, it, but it is, it, sorry, Peter, for just for no, a second, no, go ahead. because, because go Rob ahead. has said this and he's right, that it, this is a really softball pitch to the Democratic Party because <laughs> yeah. they consult, they can address homelessness, they can address crime, they can address petty crime, all the rest of these things, without selling out their base ideas. If, if they want to go back to the party that they were once and talk about how they care about crime and safety in the neighborhoods of people, of you know minority people, if they care about independent businesses, not the big chains with their fascist, mo- if, if they can reshape their old idea, their old rhetoric into in, in, into things that would be palatable to a liberal leaning audience. But they don't and they won't they because don't. it seems as if they are constrained by the fear that some Washington Post writer is going to start tweeting mean so, things about them and consume the weak discourse for that. Right. Here's 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 a little reason for optimism. At least I'm feeling a little bit optimistic, little tiny bit optimistic for the following reason. During the Trump years, began beforehand, but we saw it vividly, unmistakably during the Trump years, both political parties behaved as if they had consultants, and they probably did have consultants, but they certainly behaved this way, telling them, don't bother trying to reach to the middle. Don't bother trying to expand your base. The name of the game is getting the base you already have to the polls. Agitate them anger them, excite them, infuriate them, drive your base to the polls. Donald Trump tried it. He he believed he got elected that way first time around. He tried it again the second time around, and it didn't work. Now what do we have? Look at the Republican candidates, Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. Mehmet Oz knows perfectly well that he has no choice but to reach out to try to expand the Republican base in Pennsylvania. And what's happening with Mehmet Oz, who I, excuse me, Mehmet Oz is the celebrity doctor who just won the primary for the Republican senatorial nomination in Pennsylvania. Mehmet Oz and Republican candidates around the country are back to the old and healthy game of trying to figure out how to bring more people right into the their base how to persuade their neighbors and the democrats as this january 6th committee demonstrates are stuck with the old game they're trying to drive up their base they're not even making an attempt to understand the thinking of the people who are uh, who are disgusted with them let alone attempting to reach out to them so the polls 
It's just hard to imagine event. Of course, it's a long time still. It's hard to imagine, though, events that could emerge that will prevent the Republicans from recapturing the House. And that would put Republicans, by the way, I'm going to stipulate for the sake of argument. Uh, this is an argument in itself. I'm going to stipulate for the sake of argument that Donald Trump will choose to rededicate himself to the sacred game of golf and remain in Mar-a-Lago. So absent Donald Trump, you've got at least a dozen really smart, very appealing, prospective candidates, every one of whom is going to be in the business of reaching out to the middle of the country of persuasion, which is American politics when it works. I hope so. I'd bet money on it if I was a betting man. I'm not, though, because I'm sort of penurious and cheap and the rest of it. And I like to think ahead of the financial future, which is why, for example, well, insurance comes to mind. Because if somebody relies on you financially, and I'm sure somebody does, a parent, a child, a business partner, like Rob, life insurance gives you peace of mind that they have financial cushion if something happens to you, heaven forfend. Typically, life insurance gets more expensive as you age. Makes sense. So it's smart to get a policy sooner rather than later, right? By making it easy to compare your options from top companies, Policy Genius can help make sure that you're not paying a cent more than you have to for the coverage that you need. And having life insurance through your job eh, might not be enough. Most people need up to 10 times more coverage to, to properly provide for their families. So whether you're graduating from school or planning a wedding, welcoming a baby, or switching jobs, now is the time to protect your family's finances. Policy Genius is your one-stop shop to find the insurance you need at the right price. Just head to policygenius.com and you can get started right away in minutes minutes <clears throat> you can compare personal quotes from top companies to find your lowest price you could save 50 percent or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with policy genius the licensed agents at policy genius are on hand through the whole process they'll help you understand your options help you make decisions with confidence and their team works for you not the insurance companies Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. No, they don't sell your info to third parties. And Policy Genius has options that offer coverage in as little as a week to avoid unnecessary medical exams, too. So head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. And we thank Policy Genius for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome to the podcast Douglas Murray, the author of 10 books, including The Strange Death of Europe, The Madness of Crowds, and the newly released The War on the West, how to Prevail in the Age of Unreason. He's an associate editor in The Spectator and is considered a leading figure in the ominously called intellectual dark web, which is why probably his Zoom feed has just simply a black room with a strange glowing orb somewhere <laughs> to it. Well, here we are, uh, the West, the war on, crowds mad, Europe strangely dead, and uh, an age of unreason. How do you prevail in an age when emotion seems to have swamped the gunwales of every single vessel on the sea? And uh, where do we start? Is there one particular type of unreason that if we if we get our hands around that one and persuade people that the rest actually will be easier to deal with? Well, that's a, a very uh, good question. And there's, there are a couple of very straightforward answers. And let me just give you one. I, I've had a uh, in recent years uh, through the turmoil and madness that's gone on in Western nations. Uh, I've often said that the, the, the absolute minimalist uh, suggestion I have had to give readers, friends, and others is the following advice. Don't go mad. Don't go mad. If you can. I mean, maybe you can't help it. Uh, but just try not to go mad. Uh, try to hold on to some things. Try not to go all the way down uh, various of the snakes that now exist on particularly the American board game of snakes and ladders. 
Don't go all the way to the bottom of the board. Um, try to hold on to something. Now, by the way, there are pieces of advice I give for how to do that. One of them is try to agree on something. And this is something I say quite, I say in the war in the West. And by the way, one of the interesting things about bringing out a book often is that you discover um, uh, aspects towards what you've been writing from people in other disciplines that you weren't aware of. Mm. And since uh, the war in the West came out, I mean, a couple of groups of people I've heard from in particular, uh, and one of them has been people involved in marriage counseling who have said some of the advice you give is what I recommend to couples. That is, like, try to find things you agree on. And that's one of the pieces of advice I give in the war in the West. One of the reasons why people have gotten so deranged in recent years uh, is because, uh, firstly, they want to hurt their political opponents, not just uh, beat them. They actually want to hurt them. They want to find ways to kick them as hard as possible in the groin. That's a very unpleasant, very um, very demeaning uh, political activity. But the second thing is um, people don't agree even on facts. I I've said quite often, you know, having different opinions is very last century. Uh, in the 21st century, we have different facts. We have different versions of what's just happened. Um, for instance, uh, obviously something going on at the moment. Uh, some people say January the 6th, absolutely nothing to take any notice of. Doesn't matter. Unbelievable. You're going on about it. Mm -hmm. And then another group of people say, this is the biggest attack on the American homeland since before 9-11. In fact, it's bigger than 9-11. This is the big, this was an insurrection. This was an attempt to overthrow the government. Um, I would say try to agree on something. You may not agree on January 6th. It's in a way, in some ways, it's a bad example. But it's so divisive. But try to agree on some things. And one of the things I suggest in the war in the West is, how about coming to some kind of common agreement about our past? And, of course, again, that's tricky in certain ways. We're never going to have a single narrative about the past. But, for instance, one of the reasons why so many people have found recent years so deranging is because everything in the past has been upended as well. You know, only a few years ago, you would have been insane to have said the founding fathers were just appalling and there was nothing good to be said about them. You'd be mad. Who would say that? Now, very commonplace. The city in which I'm sitting in New York, the statue of Thomas Jefferson last year was boxed up, winched down and wheeled out the back door of the council chamber. Uh, it had been there since the 1830s. And one of the members of the New York Council who voted to remove the statue of Jefferson said, well, Thomas Jefferson doesn't represent our values. So if, <laughs> if you're in that position, that as a nation, it's not just you disagree on who didn't win or won the last election or the one before that. Or it's not just you can't agree on who's won elections in America or anything else. It's that you don't agree, for instance, that the founding was a good idea. In that situation, absolutely everything on the train underneath you turns to jelly. And of course, people fall through. So as I say, I've discovered that some of the advice I give, find one thing you agree on and work out from there actually turns out to be very practical advice for people's lives. Hmm. I agree. We can agree that there was a date in January that was the 6th. Let's start from there. No, you're absolutely, I mean, when you, you mentioned that with the marriage counselors, the marriage counselors will tell you that when contempt becomes the operating yes. emotion in a marriage, it's over. Yes. And what, it, what we have here today are two sides that are not simply left and right with a common core center, <clears throat> but they are contemptuous of each other as, in, as, as, as yes. destructive elements that cannot be reckoned and bargained with. They just simply, yes. have, to be, they simply have to be vanquished. Peter, Rob? Hey, Douglas, I've got... Uh, 
I'm preparing. To, I'm going to be in Washington next week, where I'll interview a couple of people, including Christopher Demuth. Now, you've mm. just joined us. You know Chris, or you know yeah, who course. Chris is. Great right. admirer of Chris. All right, yeah. all right. So here is what Christopher Demuth, the most urbane, sophisticated man in conserva- in the conservative movement, has now announced that he considers himself a national conservative. Mm. Yeah. And here, here's here are a couple of sentences from a piece he wrote lit, published late last year in the Wall Street Journal. When the American left was liberal and reformist, conservatives played our customary role as moderators of change. But today's woke progressivism isn't reformist. It seeks to turn the world upside down. When the leftward party in a two-party system is seized by such radicalism, the conservative instinct for moderation is futile. National conservatives recognize that in today's politics, the excesses are the essence. We must shift to opposing revolution, close quote. All right. Now, you have just given us lovely but moderate-sounding advice. It almost sounds as though your advice is, let us return to civility. And as Hmm. civil a man, as Christopher DeMuth said, no, this is a time to fight. What do you make of that? This is a question less of con- of substance than of attitude. What's the correct yes. attitude for our side? Well, clearly on the conservative side in America, there are, broadly speaking, let's say, of the many divisions you might say exist, uh, one particularly strikes me and it's relevant to this, which is uh, the conservatives who essentially do liberalism at the speed limit, as somebody once said. Um, they, uh, they, they slow the liberals down a bit, uh, fight the next battle. They know they're going to lose and, and much more. Uh, that sounds more, um, derogatory than I mean it to be, because it's a perfectly healthy instinct is to say that the na- nature of the dialectic in politics could be that the left puts out ideas. The right says, well, hang on a minute and refines them and works them, allows some through and doesn't allow others through. That might be one version of the dialectic. However, there is a, certainly a movement in America, much more so than in my native country of Britain, which says, no, we've been doing that for too long and we've been losing. We've been losing ground all the time. We're not happy just giving in and giving in and giving in. And one of the things, of course, is that they look to, particularly national conservatives, I would argue, mm-hmm. um, look to certain states which don't seem to be doing that. Um, look to countries where, which are saying, uh, obvious examples are, say, Poland and Hungary, uh, which are saying, no, uh, we actually are going to fight for our traditions in a uh, conservative way. Uh, we're going to put the left on the back foot and much more. And there are many Americans who say that's that's American conservatives who say that is the position we should be in. And I think it's an understandable thing because um, it's not pleasant to always be a loser, for instance. Um, it's not pleasant to feel that you're the one who's always giving in in a uh, in politics any more than in a marriage or relationship. Uh, so I understand this instinct. I do think, though, that there are what you have to be aware of if you move the the boundaries like this is is exactly where you place them. Uh, my, my own analysis is that is that the, the boundaries of the right have been slightly inaccurately placed in recent years. Uh, people have been put beyond the, the margins, uh, beyond the, the the wall, as it were, who should not be beyond the wall, who are definitely part of the conversation, who should be part of the story, who have views, I mean, many things I've written about, like immigration, uh, you know, put beyond the wall are people who include, quite often, the majority of the public. Well, that's not a sustainable position. But the question is, of course, if you move that wall, are you sure you know? 
exactly where you're placing it again. You know, if you expand the, the, the barriers, the boundaries on your own political sides, if you expand them, what do you allow in? And this is, of course, really, this is a, this is a work of extraordinarily careful surgery that's effectively needed. Um, do you uh, move that barrier slightly, that wall slightly, and allow in a significant chunk of the public who must be spoken to and for and who want things done? Or do you also let the demons in? Do you allow the things that exist to all political sides that effectively trounce and destroy much of that political movement? I'd argue, by the way, that that's obviously one of the things that that the Trump era worried people over, which was, you know, uh, the, the parts of the left and these parts of the conservative movement tried to put everybody who supported Trump beyond the pale. I think you can't do that because you're talking here about the American public. On the other hand, occasionally, famously at Charlottesville, famously on January the 6th, people get a glimpse of something that is in the woodshed that suddenly comes out and it terrorizes them, terrifies them, quite understandably. And it terrifies them not least because the political left then says, aha, we told you all along. Right. That when, right. the, when the wall is moved slightly, when the boundaries are moved slightly, these are the ghouls that come in. And so, as I say, it's a very, very fine surgical operation that is needed uh douglas thank you for joining us good to see you again um you know I, the problem with american politics is american politics and its dna at the very beginning is a kind of a built-in compromise you get about the c mm -hmm. plus version b minus version of what you want and you're always trading this and that and um you know, the idea of sort of, 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 of fighting and making an argument in American politics is really about politicking. That's what it is, right? Um, and that's how things get done. If you're LBJ and you want to pass the Civil Rights yeah. Act, you, you have to appeal to Republicans. That's Republicans helped pass that. Democrats didn't. Um, so you're always kind of horse trading. You're always kind of getting half of what you want. Yes. Um, on the other hand, there's another great force in American uh, uh, life, and that's the American culture. Um, and American culture seems to be where, um, you know, just to sort of take a, a slightly not opposite, but maybe different position. American culture seems to be the place where conservatives, in my view, have been happy to fight and complain and to point fingers. I mean, if you not want to know what the excesses of the American left are at any given moment, you can watch Fox News. Fox mm -hmm. News is that's that's its chief item of of content is to point and say look what the crazy lefties are doing um but in the american culture i mean i'm just looking i was just looked this up so in the past century three of the biggest mega hits and um, the hollywood mega hits of the past century uh, i mean of the this century 21st century um that weren't superhero or fantasy or animation so just typical movies passion of the christ american sniper and top gun this past mm. week, gigantic hits, which suggests that there's an appetite in a marketplace for American stories that are more or less yes. positive, that are more or less uplifting, that sort of take as the premise that this is a great nation. Hamilton, this gigantic Broadway hit, took as its essence the idea that these men were great men doing great work, thinking big thoughts. They were flawed, but they mm. were passionately consumed with democracy gigantic he made a hundred million dollars a week apparently it's just a staggering staggering amount people loved it they ate it up so my question is really to the conservatives is all right well you know michelangelo said you criticize by creating so now i prove to you there's a market go fill it yes. why won't they fill it 
Well, that's a very interesting question. Of course, one is that there are some gatekeepers. Uh, uh, fewer and fewer instance, now. I mean, it's 2023. Fewer and fewer. The, the, the gates are definitely breaking down. But um, you mentioned uh, the box office, and of course, that's a very, very important. You know, I'd throw a statistic back at you. Of the films that were nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards this right. year, of all of the films that were nominated for Best Picture, not one was among the top 10 highest grossing films of the American cinema last year. Right. Not one. And that will continue so, to be the case. So the Academy Awards, the Oscars and so on, are effectively ceremonies in which uh, actors give awards to other actors who've appeared in films that the public haven't seen. Yes. Okay. Not a great business model. At some point, people start to notice that and they take advantage of it. Now, I, and, and I'm very pleased that that is happening. For instance, uh, Ben Shapiro's outfit, The Daily Wire, yes, is now yes, making yes. content. They're making movies. I think they're going to make kids' content as well soon. Uh, they're even making products. <laughs> they're making razors now because one of the razor companies um, uh, boycotted them. So this is, this is a very exciting development. I think, and I want more and more of it to happen. Now, of course, the world I know most is the world of publishing. And I know that in the world of publishing, the gatekeeping, as it were, still exists. Uh, when uh, you were kind enough to mention earlier my uh, book, three books back, The Strange Death of Europe. Well, The Strange Death of Europe, not sound like I'm b- blowing my own trumpet, but, you know, as they always say, if I'm not going to, who will? Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Blow your well, trumpet. Well, that's very kind of you to say so, Peter. But um, that book spent 20 uh, weeks in the top 10 of the Sunday Times bestseller lists and was number one for quite a long time. And um, I was approached by a publisher after that who told me something very interesting and absolutely typical, that she had been at a party and she had seen her the, the head of her publishing house and said, have you seen how well Douglas Murray's book on immigration is selling? And by the way, this wasn't an anti-immigration book, as Peter knows, and anyone who's read it knows. It was, a quite, it was one that tried to look deeply at the question and, and didn't worry about saying things that were politically incorrect if they happened to be true. So uh, she says to her boss, have you seen how well Douglas Murray's book is selling? And he says, yes. And she says to him, do you remember I told you we should do something in this area, I, by which I assume she meant in the area of immigration? And his response was, we wouldn't want those readers. <laughs> now, that, to my right. mind, is a very typical... Was that American type, or British? Uh, British, but I think... Sim- I heard similar stories from America. Oh, you did? Not you? All a, right, all yeah. right. So the point is, is that there are people... For, and I said to her, well, in which case, do please tell your boss that he must tell the next shareholder meetings that you're a not-for-profit entity. Um, it would be very important to the shareholders to know this fact. But the point is, is that in, 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 in culture institution after culture institution, this has been the case for a while. A theatre critic friend of me once brilliantly said to me some years ago, the theatre isn't the theatre anymore, Douglas. And I said, well, what is it? He said, it thinks it's a think tank. Uh, I said, this is one of the most perceptive comments about the theatre I'd heard in years. They don't, I mean, parts of them want to put on hits, of course, but part of it is, this is your five fruit and veg a day, this is what's good right, for you, right. or this is what you need to know or be told. You need to be, the audience need to be scolded until they have all of the correct political opinions. I've seen plenty of that in American theatre in the last year. Um, so well, all this suggests opportunity, it, it, though, doesn't it? Exactly. Suggest market exactly. opportunity. I mean, the, you know, you throw up. I mean, here in the United, I'm in New York too. You throw a brick, you hit a billionaire, and you're you're bound to hit a conservative billionaire. There are tons of them, and you're or, or right. a, 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 a recently woken up conservative like Elon Musk. Right, you're going to hit one. Um, why is it that they would rather give money to sclerotic think tanks 
or 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 or, pub, or support books that will appear on. I mean, God love him, Tucker Carlson, but he, his audience already agrees, right? Then to really do something big in the culture, which would require them to sort of do the kind of risk. Do certain institutions have so much legacy prestige? that it's almost impossible to dislodge them from the cultural firmament. I mean, Rob's question, a billionaire would probably say, if you gave the billionaire, a conservative billionaire, a chance between owning the New Yorker, the storied New Yorker, or starting mm. some scrappy little conservative thing that's going to be known by everybody as right, right wing, uh, which would he rather do? Which, which would make life easier in New York? And which would probably mm. give him a little bit more of a frisson of a self-satisfaction? Owning the New that's, Yorker. Yes, that's true. Um, well, the, the, the nature of success in the conservative moment in recent in the conservative movement of recent years in America, in particular, has been scrappy organisations and startups. I think there are obviously now this isn't an either or. Of course, one of the great successes of American uh, conservatism has also been setting up. Uh, um, legacy institutions, uh, their endless fallouts, everybody falls out with each other, they disagree about this op-ed, they disagree about that, but they exist and it gives a certain foundation to conservative American life. On top of that, you then have the sort of upstarts. Uh, um, you have the people who come along and say, no, we want to do something more vigorous than that. And I think this is a great sign of health on the American right. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the, 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 however, the question I go back to at the beginning is this question of um, and I've come across this a few times when I've made criticisms of the American right, as I'm very happy to do, as I am with the British right and anyone else I disagree with. I don't feel limited in my range of opportunities to throw invective and criticism. But um, what I've discovered is that there is now on the American right a very big, particularly on the young right, there's a very big suspicion of anyone who is accused of or seen to be what I just described as gatekeeping. And that can include anyone. So anybody who comes along and says, look, this just isn't the way to do things, or this is beyond the pale. For instance, uh, let me give you a very obvious, very easy example. Marjorie Taylor Greene, when she was criticized earlier this year for speaking at a, uh, a conference of uh, a horrible little anti-Semite and a uh, bigger called the Nick Fuentes, um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene appears on the platform with him, is criticized for it, and says in response, you know, I won't apologize for appearing with, I think she said, vigorous young you know, full-blooded conservatives. And I said, you know, vigorous, full-blooded, you know, you bloody idiot. I mean, you know, and, and, and I mean, the, the, these are, but, but the point is, is that there are people on the American right, particularly the young American right, who are so fed up of people saying, oh, you can't say that, you can't do that, you mm. can't look into this idea, you can't look into that idea. But effectively, they just say, no, the whole thing's open and no one is allowed to limit us. Now, of course, that really is a problem because they're disproportionately likely to make the same mistakes again that people before them have made. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you decide to go back to the metaphor I said earlier, rather straightforward metaphor, if you decide to lift the barrier, the, the wall, the gate, whatever, and just allow everything in, you might allow things in that end up meaning you've got to start again. You've got to go through arguments right. that were settled. You've got to return right. to the thing of, this is why we don't want Holocaust deniers anywhere near members of Congress, etc., etc. You don't want to have that. But 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 that but this is the the very delicate moment that American conservatism is at. It seems to me is that question of the, the gatekeeping has been annoying. The people who've done it on the right to the right have have often got it wrong. They've kept off majorities. They've kept out the public. Uh, but the response to it has to be incredibly carefully calibrated. I mean, I trust. Chris Demuth, enormously. I think he's an extraordinarily kind, decent, generous, and intelligent oh, yes. man. And I would trust um, 
Chris DeMuth and, and many other people to carry out some of that, that, that sort of surgery. However, um, is it always going to be correct? I mean, I have spoken at a National Conservatism Conference and I had criticisms of a number of people I discovered were also there. This is in Europe and, and not in America. Were you at this, this recent one in Brussels, was it? No, was I that, wasn't. No, and nothing in the world could induce me to return to Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> nothing in the world. Um, and, uh, but but I, I did speak at one in Rome, and there were a couple of people there that I was very much in disagreement with and would not have, I don't think I'd have attended if I'd have known were there. Um, but then the European right is even more than the American right in a kind of turmoil here. And I'm not here referring to the so, British right. The, the European right, whoa, if you lift up all barriers on the right, you, you wow, are there some ghouls waiting to return. Yes, yes. Douglas, you have done a remarkable thing, which we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, you have moved from the United Kingdom to the United States. You're here now. You live yes. in New York. Yes. Why? And if you had to place a bet, I, apparently you have placed a bet, but if you had to place a bet on the politics of conservatism, the politics of the right, the politics of the West mm. renewing themselves, if you had to place a bet on where the Renaissance was most likely to take place, where would you place your bet? But first, well, how's New York? How's America? Why did you, and why did you move? In a way, it's just an expression of uh, faith. Uh, I, I really am long on America. You know, All right. Long on, so, long on New York. So you're answering uh, both questions at once. That's your bet. Well, one, but, but, but the uh, more important point is this, and this might come out, I've got to be careful always to not abuse my host as a guest in this country, but here we go. Uh, if you're a writer and you write about issues like I do, you, you don't you, you want to go straight to the heart of the problem. Uh, America's the heart of the problem. Let me phrase it in another way. In my lifetime, most of our lifetimes, I think America was a net importer of bad ideas. Principally, we might agree from France. Now, that's changed in recent years. America has become a net exporter of bad ideas. It's uh, one of mm -hmm. America's least welcome exports. But, you know, America undergoes some cultural revolution shift, and it happens in all other English-speaking countries. You know, you get the BLM protests in the summer of 2020. They spill straight out into the streets of London, and before you know it, the Senate after the dead of world wars and the statue of Winston Churchill are getting attacked in London. Statues of Churchill in Edmonton, Canada is getting defaced. Uh, you know, you see what I mean? The point is, yes, is that, yes, yes. And it's the same with everything. The Me Too movement starts in America. Right. Uh, bizarrely enough, as I, I said last week on Bill Maher, bizarrely enough, trying to reform sexual relations between the sexes based on Hollywood. Like, hmm, who could see that going wrong? <laughs> um, uh, the place that invented the term the casting couch. Anyhow, uh, uh, um, hey, 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 hey don't knock it. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't make any response to that comment. It's my rice <laughs> bowl here. Um, um, but, but you, you, you know, you get that starting in Hollywood and it's before you know it, you know, the defense minister in London has to resign because 20, 20 years ago, he's accused of putting his hand on a female journalist's knee, very British sex scandal because it involved no sex. Uh, but, but, but the point is, is, is that, is that these things all come straight from America to Britain, to Canada, to Australia, New Zealand. So if you're a writer like me and you're interested in ideas, 
Um, it's very important that Britain does well. It's very important to me personally. It's very important to, to Britain, obviously. But Britain just culturally is catching secondary infections of American viruses. Mm. The central uh, mm. um, propagator of the viruses of the time, the intellectual viruses of the time, is America. So to that extent, as well as being an expression of trust, it's perhaps a negative thing. I want to be at the centre of where the problem is and try to address it here. If Britain does well culturally and much more, it's very, very good for Britain, and it would be a good signifier to America and others. But if America goes south, American politics, American culture goes south, you can't buy yourself very much time in a country like Britain. Mm. You really can't. uh, Sorry, I just want to... I interviewed Yoram Hazoni. Mm. A couple of weeks ago and i said yoram you're so concerned with american politics why do you live in israel and his answer was very striking he said he and his wife decided where is the place they could live that would be the most meaningful and they decided that if they lived in israel if they moved to israel if they raised their family in israel they would be living on the very lip of the volcano yes and that's what you're saying about your move to the united states Mm. Yes. For, an, for an intellectual such as yourself. He, of course, is talking about uh, the, the Judaism as, as a central part of his concern. But that's what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. It's the same thing. You might as well be on the cusp of the volcano, as you say. Um, you might as well be looking straight into it, be right on the edge of it, uh, be where the action is. Uh, and by the way, I am um, I should say something which is quite important to say, and I've, I've said this to a couple of uh, people about the war on the West and, and, and what I'm writing about recently, uh, which is this. I'm quite confident, actually, uh, that with the right encouragement, um, this can all go well. I was speaking the other week to a a wonderful young actor called uh, Clifton Duncan, and we were talking about uh, the arts and the arts scene in New York and elsewhere. And, you know, he was very down on on some of this. You know, the plays aren't getting written, the the pieces aren't being written, the, 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 the books aren't necessarily, you know. And, and I said, well, the thing is, Clifton, is that there are people watching, there will be people watching us, as there will be here today. There will be people watching us who will write those plays. And there will be some who will put them on. Right. And I there will agree. be some who will write those books and those films. There will be those people in Hollywood uh, who will end up watching this, who will think, yeah, it's true. I mean, there's a massive market out there, and we seem not to be giving them the things that they seem to want. And, and um, you know, maybe we should try to have the public on our side. That's a good idea if you're a, if you're a for-profit entity. And, um, and, and there will be people realizing this, and there are all the time. I was in Los Angeles the other week. I met many people in Hollywood and elsewhere uh, who were very... Uh, uh, very, very keen not to propagandize, but to be artistically free, for instance. And as as you say with Michelangelo, uh, to, to create, to create. And I'm, I'm. Uh, this is sort of one of my self-appointed aims, is to try to help clear the clutter, clear the clutter and allow people to do these things. And um, I'm quite confident that that they will, um, because... The, the sort of censorious, often described as woke, I just think anti-Western moment, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very unappealing movement. It's a very, it's a censorious movement. It's effectively a puritanical movement. It's literally an iconoclastic movement. And is that likely to exist forever? No, no, there, there will definitely be right. a counter-reformation. You know, there definitely will be. Uh, the book is fantastic, I should say, for people who... Um... Uh, Thank you. Uh, and I and I, I say that I, I I would have bought it 
except I got a free copy. So that's that's uh, really the terrible thing to say. It's a terrible thing. So I will say this, that I'm going to buy a copy and give it as a gift to my brother who will love it. It's a a terrific book. uh, And uh, I can't say enough about it and enough good things about it. That's very kind. But um, my um, a friend of mine once said it was the worst thing you can say to an author. Is, <laughs> I liked your book so much, I lent it to all my friends. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Lent, lent it. it. No, no, yes. none of that. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I can't wait to read it. Please send me a copy. That's also a terrible thing to say. Yeah, to that's an author, awful, awful thing. By the way, also, I should mention that it's available on Audible, an audiobook, and read by myself. And is is apparently great fun, according to people who listen to it. And it's um, oh, in its second good. second month now in the New York Times bestsellers audiobooks. Audible, um, oh, great! I, I've got yeah. a couple of I've got a couple of free credits left on Audible. You know, so <laughs> well, I was going to buy it, but now I'll just use those free credits. Well, here's, okay. here's why kind of counts as well. Here's why the strange counts. death. Yeah. Here, here's how I got my copy of the Strange Death of Europe, and this I think all by itself accounts for part of a large part of the reason that was a bestseller. I got my copy from Rupert Murdoch, who had in his office three cardboard boxes filled with it he'd ordered a hundred copies to hand out in meetings oh, so there you have nice it that's very nice to hear um it, it's wonderful to it, as i say i mean I, you know i really bang on about it but the not you know I, i've been a writer all my life uh, now 22 years 25 years almost actually from the time i wrote my first book and uh, the best thing for a writer as you know is to have readers Yes. or listeners and it's just such it's 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 a wonderful thing and i and particularly i should say young readers as well i have nothing against older readers um some of my best friends are older readers maybe all of them but uh, <laughs> but, but having young readers is a real real honor and the fact that i go everywhere in the states and i bump into people in the street who are college age and i say i've just been listening to your book i've just been reading your book it's the best thing ever for a writer and um i don't take it lightly because i've I've certainly done books in the past that have had um, fewer readers than uh, than, than these. So right. it's, it's uh, there is a hunger in the younger demographics for something yeah. to give them a tool to fight the unreason that swamps the social media because uh, the minority dominates. I mean, if Elon Musk bought Twitter, cauterized it, shut it off, I think we'd all be better mm. for it as much as I love the platform. But there is mm. a small co- coterie of people who dominate the discourse and shape it and distort it in a way that makes people who would otherwise fight back with reason or looking mm. for a commonality just back off and say it's simply not worth it. So, yes, That's those are right. the people who are going to love your book, which is... War on the West. It's another great one from Douglas Murray. Uh, How to Prevail in the Age of Unreason, we should note. And uh, while it's good to have listeners, it's also good to have watchers. And in, uh, I believe, in October, you'll be on Uncommon Knowledge with Peter Robinson to discuss this and more. So if you like this, and of course, I know you did, uh, stay tuned for that. And it'll be another shot, another double shot of Douglas, as we used to say on FM radio. Never. No, we never did. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. And uh, it's a great pleasure. Welcome to America. And we hope to have you back as soon as possible. Bye bye. Thanks, Douglas. How long must you live in America before we're allowed to refer to you as Doug? (laughs) Till the grave. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Douglas. Uh, That's grand. Great pleasure, Peter. (laughs) Or Pete, as we like to call him around here. Actually, no, no, we we don't. Um, You know, here's the thing. I had a friend after last week's podcast, I had a friend from from, from high school came. And we had lunch and it was kind of fun because yeah, I hadn't seen him in about 10, 12 years or so. And he still called me by the old nickname that we used to call yeah. each other in, in high school. It just slipped out. It wasn't planned. It just some ancient synapse fired and he said it. And uh, there's nobody else. 
on the planet who would call me that particular set of phonemes. And as a reminder, relationships like that, they can get, they, they change over time, but they burnish, they get better. Lots of things do, you know, your great leather jacket, your cast iron skillet, your solid wood furniture gets better as you use them. Would you ever think that sheets could be on that list? He said, gently transitioning <laughs> into a commercial. Mm-hmm. Well, he did, and I am. And here you go. You know what they are, don't you? They're bowl and branch sheets. Why would we keep talking about them? It's not just because they're buttery and breathable and impossibly comfortable. No, they get soft with every wash. This is just a cool thing. Forget thread count, you know, 9,000 threads. Now, bowl and branch gives you thread quality. Doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have if they aren't the best threads possible. And as I like to say, week in and week out, because Bowling Branch has been with us for a long time, every week my sheets are softer than they were the week before. And you may think, are they gossamer thin? Can you see through them? Are they cheesecloth at this point? What? Can you, know, can you take a, you know, hot water and hit them and they'll dissolve? No, no, they wear like iron, but they feel like silk. Signature hemmed sheets, Bolin Branch. They're a bestseller for a reason. Bolin Branch uses the highest quality threads on the planet for a superior softness and a better night's sleep. Sheets are made with threads so luxurious they're beloved by two U.S. presidents. Hot kidding. Three U.S. presidents. They feel buttery to the touch and they're super breathable, so they're perfect for every season. Hot seasons like this one, oh, they're great. They didn't acquire... 10,000, no, more than 10,000 seller reviews for no reason. No, when you get the best sheets on the market, people notice. And they are so confident that you'll love them. Bowling Branch will give you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. And of course, you know, <laughs> the reason they can do that is because they know that once you sleep on them, you're never going to give them up. So head over to Bowling Branch to get total sleep satisfaction. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code Ricochet at BowlingBranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code Ricochet. And we thank Bowling Branch for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Well, we have a little uh, home talk here. Uh, Rob, I noticed that you got in the lawsuit thing. Uh, very I try to get that in as much as possible, as much as possible at the top in relation to absolutely nothing. And I, I I'm sort of what, and, and that's great. We can do it again, but, um, are you sort of like wandering around Manhattan, buttonholing people and, uh, you know, strangers at random? And asking, I will, I, if it comes to that, I mean, look, uh, <laughs> you know, um, we do want to get to the 600th podcast. I'll just put it that way. Um, that is a goal. Um, and, uh, it would be, uh, it would help us out if you, um, you know, if you want to help and you've been listening and you have been like looking for the reason to do something. So it would be nice if you helped us now join Ricochet. Um, if you are a member already, um, you know, please think about giving a, a gift membership to somebody, you know, who's um, like-minded or maybe needs to get persuaded. Uh, membership started just $5 a month. You could buy a product from one of our sponsors. Our sponsors really do help keep us afloat and we have pretty good, um, response from them. I mean, uh, you know, we have, we've had some friend ball and branch have been very loyal sponsors for us for a long time. Um, so, but every little bit helps. So I would, you can I, go to, yeah, Rick- we, we got to make it a 600 because if, if we're, yeah. if we stop at 599, <laughs> we're going to be like a spaceship on the yeah. edge of the event right. horizon of a black hole. <laughs> right. Well, I'm, we're, we're, we're trying, we're desperately, but you can't, it looks very cool. Like a duck, you know, we look very placid on the surf water surface, but underneath we're pedaling furiously trying to keep the trying to keep the one step ahead of the sheriff. Um, so go to ricochet.com slash join, get more information, please join. Also um, next week, uh, the Ricochet Hillsdale DC live taping of the Byron York show, which is a terrific podcast. Byron York, as you know, is a frequent guest here and is, I, I can't think of a better reporter covering national politics than Byron. Uh, and he will be there with Molly Hemingway, uh, which is going to be fantastic. It is completely full, but we are told by our partners at Hillsdale that it's sold out in 11 hours, but, um, 
as always, if you're a member uh, and you want to come, uh, don't uh, don't despair. Email Alex Rosenwald, Alex at ricochet.com, and we will do our best to get you there. We do want you there. Uh, it's we're going to be doing more of these, and um, they're f- so much fun. And I, I actually Byron and Molly together as sort of a um, kind of a dream team. And there are, of course, upcoming meetups. If you're a member of Ricochet, big get togethers are set for June 25 in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the last weekend in July in Milwaukee, there's, uh, and there's another one in the works in Northern California, which apparently is now a hotbed of right-wing revolution. Uh, join Ricochet, check out the Ricochet meetup group for more details. That's then there in the member feed. We want to see you. We do. This is I part have of the far- fun I'm- of Ricochet is getting together IRL as the kids. Yes, indeed. I want to have one here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That would be hmm. that would be fun. I, I I remember doing one in a barbecue joint in Fargo, North Dakota, years and years ago, and that was great fun. So yes, that is the the part of the pleasure of Ricochet. Even May I ask a, a, a yeah, lilacs but, summer question? Mm-hmm. Is the state fair going to reopen now? Oh yes, COVID? <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. So so you'll be there this summer? Yes. You know, I haven't actually gone to the fair as a fair goer to just enjoy it in however many years. I go there to work. I've been going there to work year after year after year. And what I do is <laughs> I stand on a stage and talk to people at the state, the small stage that we built in front of the Star Tribune building, which is this great big structure. It's been, we've been on that site for decades. right? But do you, the, do you guess the, their weight? Uh, anything close to it. I mean, what I have to do is to just do something to bring people <laughs> by. Very dangerous. I used to have, well, yes, I used to have um, a gimmick in as much as we gave away lip balm, flavored lip balm twice a day. And it was very popular. Every year, people want to know what the flavor is going to be. Chocolate chip, grass, traffic cone. I mean, we always have some clever little flavor. And so they would, it would come by twice. People would come by together twice a day. And they would stand in a long line. And so I would have this hundreds of people that are waiting for lip balm. They're not there for me. They're there for complimentary emollients. But as long as I have this crowd, you can do something fun with them. And I'd get them all to chant things like, I love the Star Tribune. I want lip balm. I'm not going to pay for it because I'm cheap. And it was great. All hot sun pouring, pounding down. And, uh, and my people in need of lip balm. <laughs> I don't have that anymore. They just give it out. <clears throat> this is what it's come to, people. We've lost all of our standards. No more swag. Just, no more lilac hand swag. it out to anybody who walks by. So I have to come up with something else. So I, one of the things that you've been able to get at the State Fair every single year is a fluorescently hued yardstick. And you can find them over there at the gas place where they uh, teach uh, you know, what, uh, who to call before you dig. And for some reason, there's this connection between fluorescent yardsticks and the gas people. It's been there cemented for decades. So I have one of these every time I get up there, and then I try to engage people in fair trivia. Where was this? Where? And I tell a story about the fair, then I hand them the magic divining fluorescent yardstick, and they and, and have the point in the direction in which they think this thing happened. So it's like trivia, and they can fake it, and I can also fake it by helping to guide their, their, their dowsing rod in the proper direction, and it's great fun. But every day, when you go to the fair and stand on that stage at noon every day for 10 days and gets a bit tiring. And I wish that I would actually just kind of go to the fair to enjoy it. I do want to say that when I die, I want somebody to put up a state fair bench with um, something on it that relates to my long tenure there. You can do that. You can buy a bench and I think it's made out of recycled, you know, milk cartons or something like that, that has your name or your family emblazoned on it so that people can sit down and rest with their back to your name and uh, and enjoy something that you gave future generations. And and believe me, this year, if it's going to be as hot as I think, it's going to be a perfect day to go to the fair. But it gets 
boiling, as I said, and you want to sit down in the shade and you always want to find it's the same at home. I mean, we sit outside, we've got a gazebo and it's great. I love to enjoy this outdoor weather. I just have a problem that one of my sofas is falling apart. And that's a problem because 93% of your life, your life is spent indoors, right? But so many of our favorite moments are outdoors, the fresh air, the feeling of peace. Since warmer weather is upon us, let's make the most of it with outer. Outer is the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more in your gazebo or, you know, wherever you happen to be this summer. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials, and it's the only outdoor furniture with a patented built-in cover. Built-in, that's great. Doesn't blow away. You don't have to hunt for it, and it makes protecting it effortless. From teak chairs to fire pit tables, everything Outer make, well, it's got the look and feel of what you'd expect at a five-star resort, but for less than you'd pay at a big box store for something that won't last. It's cheap. Trust me, I bought those things. They're cheap. They don't last. Outer is better in every way. They've spent years perfecting outdoor products with stunning modular designs to customize your space, life-proof material with a nano-coating that's water, mold, bleach, and stain-resistant, and triple memory foam cushions that are comfier than most indoor sofas. It's, it's the, uh, you know, how did nobody think about this before invention that made Shark Tank's Laurie Grenier and Mr. Wonderful fight to invest in Outer? They have over 1,000 neighborhood showrooms across the country, by the way, where you can see the outer difference in person. And you just have to visit Outer's virtual showroom if you're not around one of those. They've got these stunning displays that will inspire the feng shuiest in you. Outer furniture comes with the best in-class warranties, like 10 years for their chic aluminum line and a two-week free trial with, with free returns. How can you lose? You can't. So see the difference at liveouter.com slash ricochet. Plus, for a limited time, get $300 off and free shipping. This is Outer's best offer anywhere. You're not going to get it anyplace else, and it's only available to podcast listeners and only for a limited time. $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com. O-U-T-E-R dot com slash ricochet. Liveouter.com slash ricochet. And terms and conditions apply. And we thank Outer for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Peter, you gave everybody a uh, a vocabulary lesson. I did. I'm, I did. I did. I did. I did. Would you I, like to it, would you like to read it? I'd be happy to read it. Um <laughs> I don't quite know what came over me. But Faye Vincent, the late baseball commissioner, wrote a sweet, sweet appreciation in the Wall Street Journal of the late Roger Angel. Now that I say the word out loud, I don't know whether I'm pronouncing it correctly. Was it Angel or Angel? I don't know. In any event, this man who was... Angel. Angel, thank you. Roger Angel, who was E.B. White's stepson and had worked at the New Yorker magazine. Yes, yeah. I did not know that. His mother was E.B. White's second wife, and Roger Angel was raised from the age of, from boyhood, by E.B. White. And Roger Angel <laughs> himself became a writer in much the style of E.B. White, wry, um, amusing, informative. And he died a couple of weeks ago at the age, as I recall, of 102. And he was active writing Baseball pieces were his his kind of signature work. He was an active member of the staff of the New Yorker into his 90s. And Faye Vincent wrote that Roger Angel was, quote, fascinated and bemused by baseball, close quote. And I wrote a letter to the editor saying, may I offer a word of gratitude to Faye Vincent? That's the first correct use of bemused that I've come across in about a decade. And I sent it off, and to my astonishment, <laughs> to 
my astonishment, they actually printed the darn thing. And this is just such a pet peeve. This is a little teeny, teeny, tiny pet peeve. In fact, it shows what a peevish person I am. I am so tired of having bemused, mm -hmm. confused with amused, as if it's some sort of slightly lesser degree of amused. Yeah, it's like a condescending it's a, amused. I'm it's a, it's a, yes. wry, it's a yeah. wry, sophisticated Yes, yeah. right. just, Niven would be bemused by your manners. It just doesn't mean that at all. And that's, what, Bob, that's the one that gets you? That's the one that gets me. That yeah. and, I have to say, I once... I once became agitated enough to do a search. I was going to I was going to buy a website and I was going to launch something called the Society for the Preservation of Strong Verbs. So for example, he did it's not he dived, it's he dove. It's not he sneaked up behind me, it's he snuck up behind me. A strong verb is a verb that makes the past tense by an internal vowel change and not mm -hmm. by adding right. ed. And it's the whole movement of modern English to eliminate them and stick on ed. And I, that annoys me. It just deprives the language of a kind of sweet richness. Oh. To my amazement and pleasure, I discovered that the Society for the Preservation of Strong Verbs already exists. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I'm know whether surprised. you should be bemused by that. Uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, uh, mine, mine, I have two two thoughts. One, one is I had a uh, writing. I uh, mean, you know, she wasn't a writing teacher. Actually, she was a, a professor at, at college who was um, a his uh, English language historian and a poet. And she this was is the, not what, Harold Bloom. No, not Harold Bloom. It's uh, Marie Boroff, and she did mm -hmm. a wonderful um, translation, essentially from the Middle English of. Um, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, mm. and she did the history of the English language. And she always said, look, if you're ever, you ever want to just turbocharge your writing, I shouldn't use that phrase, but at all, use Anglo-Saxon words. Yes, yes. And yes. don't use the Latinate. Because with you know, English is yes. so rich, it has versions of everything. So don't say royal, say kingly. Yes. And yes. it just your writing just instantly gets elevated and begins more has more impact. And then the second thing is I I'm I guess I'm not it's like I'm bemused. I I I I accept that as your current obsession, but mine remains disinterested uninterested mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it seems to remove the word the, the meaning of disinterested from the vocabulary. So you can't say well, I'm explain. looking well, I think people sometimes say disinterested when they mean uninterested. Like you want a, you do not want to judge disinterested who's uninterested. means impartial, right? Yeah, he doesn't have an interest in it. Like yes, not, yes, yes. And you don't want to judge who's uninterested, but you do want to judge who's disinterested. Yes, yes. And that to me is, um, and or, for that matter, dis and un, unorganized, disorganized are two different, very different things. Um, but for me, th that's the one that I that sense, sets my hair on fire is the disinterested, uninterested. In a related stuff. concept, Google this week released a list of all the map of the states, and they printed all the states that people Google the spelling for the word that people Google the spelling for. Because oh, that's Google interesting. Right? Because, you know, sometimes you're stuck in a word and the best right. way to do it is to ask Google to type it in or to say, you know, what is the spelling of? And it'll correct it for you. And the results were mystifying to me. Now, some of them I get. Florida, for example, was testing the spelling of separate because and we all hang. At least I do. I look at separate. And, is that an E? Is that an A? An A? Right, an e? right, yeah, it doesn't look right. right either way. Texas, the word that they wanted to know the spelling of was uh, Normal. Okay. Uh, Wisconsin was stumped by the spelling for lose, L-O-S-E, and was sure. one of three states that was actually troubled by a word that had four le fewer letters. North Dakota did not know how to spell 
Sorry. South Dakota was baffled by beautiful. Nebraska by beautiful. Beautiful's tricky. It can be. It can be. All Minnesota, right. for in this one, just absolutely amazing. Paparazzi. Okay, now I can understand where the word might confound some people, but we have absolutely no cause to use it here because we haven't any celebrities. But my, but you favorite, do, but I think people want to know what that, what that, want to order that dish at an Italian restaurant, or if paparazzi's is a is a you know it's a pizza joint that with extra pipes, cheese, pipes yeah. somewhere. Like they're looking Papagino's. for the phone. They're looking for the phone number. But my favorite was West Virginia because the thing apparently that people in West Virginia Google the most to find the spelling for was West Virginia, which is. <laughs> wonderfully self-referenced i mean wow. put it on the on the license plate the tot, the tautological state uh there we go anyway so we could go on for words and words and words forever um but we probably should say before we leave that we must confess to being probably more fascinated by the washington post drama than the rest of the country uh and that says something about us uh that we all are sort of still drawn to the insular doings of can paper. one of you yeah. just sum that up for me i keep getting bits and pieces of it in my twitter feed but i do not understand quite actually quite what happened i need a very brief explainer guy on staff retweets joke joke is problematic woman on staff i am assuming woman on staff objects to his retweeting starts brouhaha plugs it into context of women facing problems at the post oh male reporter is suspended without pay for a month Woman continues to go on a seven-day long, I would say tirade, because that would be sort of insulting, hysterical, no, you can't say that, uh, is angry at post for things and calls out other colleagues. Other colleagues respond. Colleagues are also called out by her. Then, all on Twitter, all taking place in public. Right, then... Everyone at the paper decides this is nonsense. This looks bad for the paper. And everyone who works there starts tweeting about how they enjoy it. It's collegial. It's collaborative. It's supportive. They like the post. Another post reporter does a survey of all these people and says, hmm, isn't that interesting? They're all white and they're all well paid. End result, company says, this is ridiculous. We look like fools in public. We are tired of this reporter. She's been bad-mouthing staff. She's fired. And they fire her. So she will begin her second lawsuit against the Washington Post probably pretty soon. Rob, does that seem to sum it up? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, I, 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 I'm as out of it as anyone else. I, I, I just I can't bestir myself to care or to even follow it. What, you're disinterested? I'm not because this, <laughs> yeah. is, my, this is my industry. And I've noticed right. that my, my newspaper actually has, has avoided uh, this kind of psychodrama. And I think the reason is, is because we're not full of Ivy League graduates. I think young people or people in their 30s who've come out of these institutions and lived in East Coast media bubbles for an awful long time and have never had to confront anything except the cultures that they've been marinating in for 15 years, uh, act like this. They, have, they, they play out these particular pointless psychodramas on Twitter, and it's, it's amusing to the rest of us. But the people who went to community college or land-grant colleges or the rest or worked through college and did waitress jobs or waiter jobs or the rest of it have a little bit more grounding um, and don't go on these things. So you know, I, the newsrooms that I grew up in were ranged from slangy places where everybody was sleeping drinking uh, to the tired places of today that seem like quiet insurance offices but these places sound like nightmares to me just just minefields of other people's emotions and uh, no then again i'm in a newsroom that has at the moment three people in it thank you 
China. Uh, that'll do, won't it? That'll do. Policy Genius, we thank them. Bowl and Branch, we thank them too. And Outer, support them for supporting us. Great idea. And join Ricochet today. Both of these, these things will help us survive to uh, to number 600, as will a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. By, by the way, you can leave that. It allows new listeners to discover us, keep the show going. But you matter the most. Your listening, your patronage, your membership. Peter, Rob, it's been great. And thank you, everybody. We'll see you in the comments at Ricochet 4.0. Next week, fellas. Yeah, next week. But in the meantime, they wear like iron, but they feel like silk. I am informed by Blue Yeti that James just came up with that. That wasn't in the copy. I think Bull and Branch should include a little extra premium for that. That is a brilliant line. <laughs> next okay, week, well, boys. If they want to include the premium, I'll just I'll, I'll sign the check over to Ricochet. All right. Next week. Ricochet. Join the conversation.